Amen. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, and I see we are a little bit thin today, so a lot of people are out of town. It's probably a good thing because I was donated an instrument. And so for my debut, it's probably better that there's few people here, right? <laughs> and but, but also, I thought this was even more interesting. Uh, you know, I talked about uh, being in the praise team vicariously through uh, my brother Eric, and I noticed, I haven't asked him when he actually did this, but we, we shaved our beards alike, so I really feel it now. <laughs> Let's lift your hearts to the Lord. Father, we thank you so much for being God. We thank you for being almighty. We thank you for being the alpha and the omega. We thank you for being the beginning and the end. And so we have confidence in you and in you alone. Our faith is in you. And so we give you glory this morning. We ask that you would bless us today. Let your word enter our hearts and bring increase in our lives. Help us to glorify you every day with every person we come in contact with. In Jesus' name, bless the pastor. Amen. Man, busting out the tambourine. That's good stuff. If I start preaching really well today, maybe you should just jank. Yeah. <laughs> so this series is called Silent Night. Silent Night is one of my favorite Christmas songs, and we're actually going to sing it together as a congregation on Christmas Eve uh, I want to make sure to invite you to our Christmas Eve service. Every year we have a Christmas Eve service, and each year we keep growing out of the location that we rented uh, the previous year. So we started at a restaurant down on the Del Mar Loop, and then last uh, year we were down in the Duck Room at Blueberry Hill. I called the Duck Room this year, and they're like, you know, we only seat 150. And I said, well, uh, okay, that's not going to work for us. So we've rented out a, um, a synagogue on Hanley Road. Uh, it's called Kol Rina, and we're going to celebrate the birth of Christ in a synagogue uh, this year. So we, we are just doing, we're just doing it up every year. This is, this is a very creative church. Um, but that, that song, Silent Night, as much as I love it and as beautiful as it is, I have to object to a few of the lyrics in that song because the song is meant to represent the night that Jesus was born. And you've got a newborn baby. You've got a newborn infant. And the song has lyrics like, all is calm. And I'm like, no, all is not calm when you have a newborn in the house. Uh, phrases like sleep in heavenly peace. They just don't have that ring of truth. If any of you have ever been around a newborn or had a baby in your home uh, last night, our six-month-old, who's no longer a newborn, was up about three or four times in the night. Nobody was sleeping in heavenly peace uh, last night. Um, in fact, as I'm studying and I was reading the words to this, and this is the truth, I was in my office and I'm reading the words and I said, I had a hypothesis. I said, you know what I bet? I bet whoever wrote that song, whoever wrote the lyrics to that song, I bet they never had kids. 
I bet that gives them this romanticized version of this song. I bet they never had kids. So I jumped on Google, did a little research, and found out that the writer of that song was this guy, Joseph Moore. Joseph Moore. Go ahead and put his picture up for me, Don. Joseph Moore, a, 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 a Austrian Roman Catholic priest. And I'm like, you know what? I was right. He may have the theology down, but the sleeping habits of infants, he don't know anything about that. Um, tender and mild is not how I would describe children. More like loud and possibly demon-possessed when they're just... Uh, um. So, as much as I love the song, it doesn't actually describe the world into which Jesus was born. It doesn't describe the world in which we live today. Let me read you the passage that describes the, the, the birth of Jesus. In, it's in Luke chapter 2. And it says, while they, uh, it says, uh, the time had come for the baby to be born. Verse 7 says, And as she gave birth to her firstborn son, she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. If you read this passage and then you read the context of the passage and the other scriptures around it, you come to discover that Jesus was not born into a time of peace. He was not born into an atmosphere of peace. In fact, Mary and Joseph, when they had the baby Jesus, when Mary had the baby Jesus, they were in the midst of financial struggles. Mary and Joseph were not well off. They were poor. The scripture says that when they offered a sacrifice uh, for the baby at the temple, they offered a pauper's sacrifice. They offered uh, doves that they could buy at the temple rather than a lamb, which was the normal sacrifice. So they were struggling financially. They had relational tension going on in their world, family tension. Mary had gotten pregnant before Mary and Joseph were married, and so there was this great, uh, you know, social, they were being socially ostracized by their family and by their friends. And then on top of that, Mary and Joseph are both saying, well, this was a child of the Holy Spirit. And people are going, yeah, right, sure it is, right? And so there's all this relational strain. And then there's political turmoil into which they were born into which Jesus was born. The Romans were, you know, governing Judea, and so there were fractions, and they were, there were battles and, and bitter rivalries happening. And then there was an external threat to Jesus' life. King Herod, if you remember in this story, wanted to kill all of the newborn male children in, in Bethlehem so that he could, you know, cut out this threat to his throne that he believed the Messiah would pose. And so children were being killed around uh, around them. So in the midst of these challenges, that's, that's the environment that Jesus was born in. It wasn't a time of peace on earth. It wasn't a time of heavenly peace. It was a lot like the world that we live in today. There were dissensions. There was unrest. There was brokenness. There was despair. And of course, you know, we're all aware this week of all of the unrest that is happening in our, in our own city, in our own community, the raw and intense emotions uh, surrounding the grand jury announcement and the Michael Brown case have spilled over, and there are angry clashes uh, between police and rioters, um, accusations being volleyed back and forth. It's a very, very difficult, challenging, conflicted, hard time in our city and in our world. And I'm not going to spend all today talking about that issue, um, but I just want to point it out and say that there's, there's deep, 
deep trouble in our world. And we are, as, as a community, called to bring healing to that. Uh, we're in touch now with a number of residents and leaders in Ferguson and in, in that area, uh, and we're going to provide you with details about ways that you can help bring solution and bring the gospel into a time of, of real distrust and suspicion, um, and, and we can bring hope to our city. Uh, we, have, we have a lot of work to do. We're the light of the world. That's what we're called to be, each and every one of us as followers of Jesus. That means there's going to be time of introspection for us. There's going to be time of courageous exposure of injustice around us. There's going to be times of humble listening where each and every single one of us are called to listen to the perspectives of others, maybe those with whom we disagree, and try to empathize and understand what other people are feeling and, and what, they're, what they're experiencing. And then there will be also time for grace-filled action where we are bringing justice and peace and we're putting time and energy and money into help bringing a solution uh, to the problems around us. Amen? Can we be peacemakers? Jesus, Jesus called us to be peacemakers. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called the children of God, and that's what I want us to be as a church, as a family, as individuals. Amen? Amen. But we don't even have to look at our community around us to see the disruption and lack of peace, right? We can look in our own heart. We can look at the unrest in our own lives. And there are dozens of ways that our own peace, especially around the holidays, is threatened. And I'm going to go through uh, and give you a few factors that I think um, capture some of the, 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 big, um, the big issues that threaten our peace uh, in our personal lives. One is this, uncontrollable circumstances. Sometimes we all experience things that are completely outside of our control. We had nothing to do with them. We didn't expect them. We didn't anticipate them. They came on and we experienced them and they totally disrupt our peace. They bring chaos and, 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 and brokenness and they fracture our world. I have a friend, Rebecca and I have a friend that um, on the East Coast, and a couple weeks ago, actually two months ago, she got a diagnosis that she had um, a stage two breast cancer. And this is a healthy, young, vibrant, fun mom with, with kids and a husband, and, and, and everything in her life was just going incredibly well. And last week, she had a, a, a mastectomy, and, and is now undergoing chemotherapy, and her life in 60 days has completely flipped upside down. Uncontrollable circumstances, things that she could have never, ever anticipated, and the peace in her life is gone, just like that. Many of you have experienced things like that and are experiencing things like that right now. Matthew 5 says that God causes his son to rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. It doesn't matter who you are. You're going to experience uncontrollable circumstances at times in your life that will disrupt your peace, that will threaten to destroy your peace, that will threaten to throw you into a state of despair and agitation. Another thing that threatens our peace are intolerable people. Anybody know anybody like that or experience anybody there's no, not one hand, two hands raised. Okay. If there's somebody in your life that is just kind of like unbearable, 
you know, and you, this is your place to confess it and admit it, just raise your hand. Somebody that you're just like, man, I just can't stand that person. The rest of you are liars, okay? Okay. Is it that, yeah, don't point, and if it's the person next to you, just gently put your hand down at this point. Just very gently. Um, or you'll, make, you'll, you'll ruin your peace even more. There'll be a greater threat to your peace, I assure you. This is that boss or that friend or that cousin or that um, peer or that professor or that employee or that, you know, whoever it is, there's somebody in your life and you just think, man, you know what? If the world would just open up and they would just drop down and, and that would be fine. That would be totally fine. Um, you know, maybe you're that person to someone else. You, you, should, you should think about that. When I was, when I was in fifth grade, I, I've to, I told this story a long time ago, but I'm going to tell you it again. Uh, when I was in fifth grade, I don't know if it was a, a snotty attitude that I had or if it was what, I, hyperactivity. I don't know what it was. I was sitting in my math class. This is so clear to me. Sitting in my math class, doing my math homework on my own, not bothering anybody. And my teacher comes over to me, and he had this very deep voice. And he leans over to me, and he says, um, Brent, he says, you've really been getting on my nerves a lot lately. <laughs> and I'm in fifth grade, man. I'm just like, what? I mean, I barely know what that means, right? I'm like, what, what have I done? What am I doing that's getting on your nerves? He's like, I don't know. You're just really getting on my nerves a lot. That was not cool, man. But I'm, I'm forgiving. I'm forgiving. I, I've got his name written down right here. I could say it. I'm not going to. I'm not going to say it. Psalm 109, verses 2 and 3. People who are wicked and deceitful have opened their mouths against me, David says. They've spoken against me with lying tongues, with words of hatred. They surround me. They attack me without cause. We experience this in our lives. Sometimes there are just people that are just intruding in your life, and maybe it's more than just annoyance. Maybe they're truly attacking you in some way, and you go, this threatens to disrupt my peace. I can't sleep at night. I think about this person. I'm angry with this person, and I can't let it go. Sometimes the person that most disrupts our peace is ourself through our own unwise actions. Unwise actions will threaten our peace. Uh, my little toddler, Augustine, he has a pacifier, and this pacifier is attached to a ribbon, and the ribbon is attached to his shirt, right? So it just kind of hangs down like this. This way he can always find his pacifier. But somehow or other, he takes this pacifier, and it gets wrapped around his arm, and then he puts it in his mouth. And when he's upset, the pacifier calms him down, brings him peace, but it's wrapped around his arm. And so as soon as he calms down, then he moves his arm and the pacifier comes flying out of his mouth. And then he starts to cry and he gets really upset and then he picks up the pacifier, wraps it around his arm and puts it back in his mouth. And he does this repeatedly. I, I don't know how to stop, maybe a shorter string. But, but his own actions are disrupting his peace, right? Now none of us are, you know, sucking on pacifiers now, but, but we all do things in our life repeatedly that mess up our peace, that threaten the peace in our life. We make bad decisions, and we go, why did we do that, right? Because the bad decisions seem to lead to other bad decisions, and before we know it, we just, we're unhappy, we're in chaos, our life is not peaceful, we're, 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 in, we're, in, we're tied down, we're enslaved by our own decisions. Look at Proverbs 
verse uh, 22 of chapter 5 says, The evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them. The cords of their sin hold them fast. We tend to think that the decisions that we make that are outside of the will of God are going to be liberating to us, but they're not. They're snares. They entrap us. And then it turns into a cycle. And we make one decision on top of another decision on top of another decision. And the stress and the chaos that ensues in those decisions actually lead us to make other bad decisions. There have been a ton of studies that have shown like that the chronic stress that happens in our lives leads us to make bad decisions. When, when we need to make the best decisions, when it's most important that we make a good decision, we keep making bad decisions. Uh, and they lead to other bad decisions and disrupt our peace. Another major disruption of peace, and this is the last one I'm going to give you this morning, is overwhelming worry. Overwhelming worry. That's number four, Don, if you want to put that up. Um, has anybody ever experienced that? Like you just, something gets locked into your mind and you start to chew on it and you start to think about it and then it gets bigger and it blows up into something bigger and bigger and before you know it you are just churning with anxiety and worry because of that thing this this usually if it happens to me it happens at about 4 a.m i'll wake up with a thought and that thought will then turn into another thought and then i'll just chew on it and i remember there were several years ago um, when i was just starting law school i thought that it would be, I lived in Arizona, moved to Arizona at that time, I thought it'd be a great idea to buy a little townhouse, and then I'll have this townhouse for the three years that I'm in law school, I'll rent a room out, and then at the end of law school, I'll sell this townhouse, and then I'll make some money, and you know, and, and that'll be a good thing. Well, I graduated in 2008. Does anybody remember what happened to the housing market in 2008? Remember? Yeah. My my, my, my little townhouse that I bought in 2005, the value of it went down by 60% by 2008. It was worth a fraction of what I had paid for it. And I didn't, you know, I had no way to cover the difference. And so I rented it out, and I had it rented out, and I was losing money every year. And now, you know, then I got, I was married had kids by this point, and every year I'm losing money. And it got to a point where I would just wake up and I would just, I would be in total anxiety about this house. Like, how am I going to get out of this situation? And I remember there was actually at one point where I was lying in bed and I was so upset about it and so concerned about it, I couldn't even pray. I couldn't pray. And I turned to my wife, Rebecca, and I said, would you pray for me? Because I just don't even have the strength to pray about. I'm so anxious. And, and she laid her hands and prayed on me. And I really, really appreciate it. And, and, you know, then she also gave me some good counsel and said, why don't you talk to somebody instead of just worrying? Because in my mind, it went from I'm going to lose the house and then I'm going to go into bankruptcy and then I'm going to lose my job and then my wife's going to leave me and then I'm going to be out on the street and then I'm going to ha- be a drug addict. And the next thing you know, you know, it's like, I mean, I had it, I had it, I had it pretty far down the path, you know, and Rebecca's like, why don't you talk to somebody? You know, you're probably not the only person in this situation. And I got some good counsel and talked to the bank and we ended up working it all out. And, um, and, and, it, you know, here, I'm not, I'm not out on the street. My wife still loves me. So, um, turned out okay. But that, that's what happens with anxiety. And there's a, a, a psalm where David describes it so beautifully. In one, Psalm 102, he says, my heart is blighted and it's withered like grass. 
He said, I forget to eat my food. In my distress, I groan aloud and am reduced, he said, to skin and bones. I lie awake. I've become like a bird alone on a roof. That's such an amazing image. He's like skin and bones. He's like a bird alone on a roof. He's so distressed. He's withering away in anxiety and fear. And some of, the, some of you, that describes what you're experiencing. Worried about money, worried about your kids, worried about, you know, your schooling, worried about your purpose, your future, our community, worried, worried, anxious. And as Christmas approaches, some of you may be saying, where is this peace on earth that is supposed to descend like a blanket of snow and cover all of the chaos in my life? Where is this peace on earth. I thought when Jesus came, he was supposed to bring peace on earth. That's what's on the Christmas cards. That's what's on the cookies. That's what's on our screensavers. You know, that's what's in the Christmas lights. Peace on earth. That's the theme. Where is it? Isn't that, you know, we say what the angels said to the shepherds when they came? He's going to come and he's just going to bring peace on earth. But really, he didn't say exactly that. Let me read you what he said. This is what the angels said to the shepherds. They said, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. King James says, and on earth, peace and goodwill towards men. The New Living says, peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. The New Revised says, on earth, peace among those whom he favors. This is very different from saying there's just going to be this generalized peace that is somehow going to magically sweep the globe and everybody is going to get along. This is, this is a, a description of in the midst of difficulty and in the midst of challenges and in the midst of heartbreak and in the midst of despair and in the midst of adversity, there is peace for those who put their trust in the Prince of Peace. That's a very different thing. When we put our trust and our hope and our life in God, we can experience peace in the midst of turmoil. It doesn't mean that there's just going to be peace everywhere around us. In fact, Jesus never promised that. Jesus actually promised the opposite of that. In John chapter 16, listen to what he says here. This is important for you to get, okay? He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Because in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. He's not saying there's going to be peace on earth. He's saying there's trouble on earth. There's trouble on earth, but in me, there's peace. Because I've overcome the trouble. You can have peace in me. In the midst of violence, you can have peace. There's peace in the midst of adversity. There's peace in the midst of injustice. There's peace in the midst of racism. There's peace in the midst of poverty and hopelessness. God says, I'm going to give you, if you put your trust in me, a deep and abiding sense of peace that transcends the trouble of the world around you. That's peace on earth. It's peace in your soul. It's peace in your heart. And with that peace, that is the peace that you take out into the world and bring peace to other people. You see, that's the only way that there's peace. Chris Hodges, a a pastor down in Birmingham who preached on this topic several years ago, 
He said, if your expectation is that there's going to be peace on earth, you're going to be waiting a long time. But if you expect that there can be peace in you, in the midst of this troubled earth, that is available to you through Christ. That is available to you. So how do we experience this peace? How do we, in our heart, in our life, in our church, in our community, how do we experience this peace? If you have a pen, take notes on this. This is, this is important stuff. The first way that we experience God's peace is that we accept God's pardon. We experience God's pardon in our own life. Have any of you ever done something and you were wrong and you were guilty and you confessed what you did to someone and they forgave you? And the peace that washes over you in that moment, has anybody experienced that? I mean, that is like one of the most delightful kinds of peace that you can have because you know you did something wrong, you've admitted it, you confessed it, you were clear about it, you were candid about it, and then the person to whom you did wrong forgave you, and there's just a sense of tranquility there. There's a a deep sense of peace. That's what God promises us. He promises to expunge our sin through the grace of Jesus Christ. I had a client several years ago. This was a young man uh, who had done, had made some bad decisions. And uh, his, his father called me and said, I need you to help my son out. So I called the son and um, started talking to him. And he said, yeah, I made some bad decisions. I don't know if I've told you this before, but I've got to tell you this. Uh, this young man thought it would be a great idea the night of his graduation, he and another couple friends thought it would be just a fantastic idea to go streaking through a Catholic schoolgirls gymnasium during their lock-in the night of graduation. I thought that would get a bigger response, but you're all sort of, sort of sitting there shocked right now. Is he telling this story? Yes. Um, they just thought that would be a fun and hilarious idea. So, Two or three guys decided they're going to run and they're going to streak through this gymnasium. Well, guess what? The gymnasium was not full of Catholic schoolgirls. The gymnasium was full of about five or six fathers of the Catholic schoolgirls who were serving as chaperones that night for the lock-in. And the dads were not thinking that this was hilarious. In fact, one of the dads was very, very upset, called the police. The police came, arrested these guys. Uh, and under the statute, they ended up with a sexual misconduct arrest on their record. Um, and so this is then years later is when I get this call. This one of the young men had graduated from college, had done his best and worked hard and was trying to get going on in life. And he had a you know, he wanted to apply for jobs and he had this arrest on his record that said sexual misconduct for streaking through a gym. Um, and so I said, well, I don't know. I'm, I'll try to get this expunged and talk to him for a long time. We went before a judge finally. And, you know, when I explained the circumstances, the judge was actually looking at me like, like as if to say, if you can give me just any good reason to expunge this arrest record, I will do it. Just give me a little piece of law that I can use to do it. And, you know, I guess I just said the right, maybe the right combination of words. And he said, yes, okay. And he expunged the record. And I tell you what, this kid is eternally grateful. I got a, uh, a gift card in the mail, took my wife out to dinner. I mean, like, you know, this guy, right? I could probably use that to get dinners for months ahead. Um, 
But it's that pardon. God actually expunges our record. In Romans 5, it says, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is how we get peace with God. We accept his pardon. We're justified by his grace through faith, and we receive his pardon. Some of you don't know or understand the doctrine of grace either because you've not been around it, you didn't grow up in church, or because you did grow up in church. (laughs) And, And so you learned the doctrine of working hard to try to get God's favor, and you don't understand that by God's grace through faith in him, he forgives you, he expunges your record. You don't have to walk around in guilt and shame. You don't have to walk around with the burden of regret. He forgives you. He forgives you, every single one of us. So we accept God's pardon. The second way we experience his grace is that we place our trust in him. Not in ourselves. We place our trust in him. This week, as I was studying, I was actually looking out the window in in my front room of our house. And I wasn't actually looking out the window. I was looking at the window. Have you ever done that? And because of the snow and everything that's happened, there's, you know, streaks on the window and there's dirt and there's even some cobwebs, you know, like, and I'm just looking at the window and it's, it's just not a, it's not an appealing sight, right? But then something caught my eye on the outside of the window and I looked through the window and I saw the sun is glistening off the snow. There are people walking, dogs and people out on the street and laughing and talking and and there's a whole world and a whole life and all this goodness happening outside of the window well some of us when we put our trust in ourselves we're looking at the window we're not looking at the light that comes through the window you see because god god it's it's not us when we stare at our own inadequacies when we stare at our own inabilities our own flaws our own problems our own mistakes we're not going to experience the peace of god But when we can look through the window, when we can look past ourselves at the God who loves us and made us and we put our trust in him, that's when we experience true peace. In Isaiah 26, it says, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because why? They trust in you. Romans 15 says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. If you want to experience peace this year, put your trust in God. Experience his pardon, receive his pardon, and put your trust in him. A third way that we experience God's peace is that we embrace God's principles. We embrace his principles. How many of you like, how many of you hate to read directions when you get a new product? You want to do it, the instructions, the instruction manual, yeah? Okay, we've got a few. We've got a few rebels out there. Um, I do not like reading instruction manuals because I always feel like, you know what? I got this. I, I could do this. I mean, I don't need somebody telling me how to install a VCR or a DVD player. or a t- I could figure this out on my own, right? I, I had a friend who they had a new baby, and he started posting pictures on Facebook of himself assembling his new baby's crib. And every, you know, every turn of the screw, it'd be like another picture, another post. Like, look what I'm doing, right? And he's in the living room, and he's putting this crib together, and it's just coming together so beautifully, and he's posting, and he's so proud of himself, and his wife's taking pictures, and they're so happy, and they're so, you know, excited about this. And then they get to where it's totally and completely assembled, right? But they forgot to read the very first instruction on crib assembly, 
First instruction of crib assembly is this. Be sure to assemble the crib in the nursery as the assembled crib will not fit through the standard-sized door frames. So then we see a series of posts disassembling the crib. Not as happy. Wife is now laughing, but my friend is not as happy, right? Because we're, we're, we're not, we, we, you know, we don't want to follow instructions. We want to do things our own way, and it threatens our peace, right? Isaiah, I love this passage. 17, 18, verses 17, 18 says, I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the way you should go. If only, he says, you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river, your well-being like the waves of the sea. When we are getting out of God's principles, we're going to experience chaos and disruption and fear and brokenness in our own lives. And God's saying, I've got instructions for you. Just follow those instructions and you will experience peace like a river in your life. Amen. We embrace God's principles. And the final one is this. We seek God's guidance. If we want to experience peace this year in our own heart, in our own lives, we seek his guidance. I had a friend uh, this two weeks ago who called me who had a major, major interpersonal conflict with somebody else, another family member. And this person that I was talking to kept saying, you know, I just don't know what to do about him. I just, I'm angry and I barely can look at, the, uh, look at him. I'm just, everything that, that I want to come out of my mouth is like bitter and, and, and angry. Um, and I asked the person this. I said, have you prayed for him yet? Long pause. <laughs> Long pause on the phone. Um, no. And I said, why don't you start by praying, put that person at the top of your prayer list and start praying for that person every morning and just see if something doesn't transform in your heart as you pray for that individual with whom you have so much conflict and anger. Because when we seek God's guidance, it will bring peace into our hearts. Philippians 4, verse 6 6 and 7 says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation... By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And what's going to happen? The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You're going through stuff right now. You're worrying. You're trying every angle. And God's saying, stop and pray and seek my guidance and the peace of God. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding beyond your own comprehension, will fill your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I want us individually and as a church and as a community to experience God's peace in real ways. I don't know if, uh, if you saw this week the, there was a, a post by um, Benjamin Watson, who's a tight end for the New Orleans Saints, um, and he went before he, at the beginning of his article, he talked about um, his emotions, about all of everything that's going on in Ferguson, and he said that, he said, I'm angry, and I'm frustrated, and I'm fearful, and I'm embarrassed, and I'm sad, and I'm sympathetic, and I'm offended, and I'm confused, and I'm introspective, and I'm hopeless, and I'm hopeful, 
and he's just got all these conflicting emotions, you know, around what's going on. And then he says this in the last paragraph, and I just found it encouraging. He says, I'm encouraged because ultimately the problem is not a skin problem. It's a sin problem. He said, I'm encouraged because God has provided a solution for sin through his son, Jesus, and with it, a transformed heart and mind, one that's capable of looking past the outward and seeing what's truly important in every human being. He said, so finally, I'm encouraged because the gospel gives mankind hope. We've got a complicated, difficult, challenging situation on our hands, and we can't dismiss it just by saying, well, it's sin. You know, God will take care of it. We can't be that cavalier and dismissive of it. There's systemic sin. There's, you know, there's sociological sin. There's personal sin. There are all kinds of factors that are going into to what's happening in our community. And we cannot just be dismissive of it just by brushing it off, right? We have to ask hard questions, and we have to seek the truth, and we have to be willing to, to forgive one another and love one another and bring peace into a completely broken world because only the gospel brings us hope. Ultimately, it's only the gospel that can bring hope into this situation, and, and hope is what so many of us are looking for today. We're looking for truth. We're looking for purpose. We're looking for hope, and we're looking for peace. Jesus came to bring us peace. In John 14, he said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. And I don't give it to you like the world gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. In other words, when there's no peace on earth, I've got peace for you in your soul. I grew up singing a song by Shirley Caesar where she said, There is peace. In the midst of this storm-tossed life, there's an anchor. There's a rock to cast my faith upon. Jesus Christ is my vessel, and I'll fear no alarm because he gives me peace in the midst of the storm. We need peace in our, in our, in our city today. We need peace in our hearts today. We need peace in our church today so that we can be bearers of peace to our world. Let's bow our heads. Some of you today are not experiencing that peace, and I know that in your heart of hearts, you're desperate for it, and you don't know how to get it, and you don't know how to accomplish it, and you're just searching, and your emotions are conflicted, and you're struggling. How do I think about things? How do I work through things? I just want to... I just want to invite you to invite God into your heart today in a way that is dramatic and real and important and powerful because he is the prince of peace and he will bring an abiding peace in the midst of the storm of your life if you will let him today. Some of you have grown up in church all your life and you just but you still have never just experienced the peace of God's grace. And I want you to experience that today. Some of you didn't grow up in church. You didn't have, you don't have, you have very limited exposure to the gospel and you might not even know what that means. But God wants to bring peace into your heart today. He wants to bring a pardon into your life that will give you peace that's beyond anything you've ever experienced before. So as I pray, just open up your heart with me and, and, and in, in silence and in your own heart, pray, pray with me today. Father, I just pray that your spirit would come into our place today, into your house today. Fill our hearts with your peace, God. Help us, Lord, to open up our hearts.
to you. Help us to open up our minds to you. Help us to calm our, our fears and just to open up to you and say, Lord, come in and give us peace. Give us strength so that we can move forward in constructive and hopeful and helpful ways that we can bring true healing, that we can bring true peace to our city around us, God. We ask that you just fill us with your presence. Fill us with your spirit, God. We open ourselves to you. Give us hope. Give us strength. Give us peace today, Father. We thank you. We trust you. We accept your pardon. We accept your grace. We put our trust in you today, Lord. And we follow your word. We follow your principles. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.